Welcome to this episode of our York Ending Stigma Let's Talk Mental Health podcast. Uh, here at York Ending Stigma, we are all people with experience of poor mental health, mental ill health, however we want to describe it, uh, using our experiences to help end stigma, bust some myths and change any negative stereotypes. And today we're going to be talking all things mental health and suicide prevention. So of course, this episode of our podcast does come with a content warning. We will be talking about suicidal thoughts and behaviours. There'll be no detailed descriptions of any methods or anything like that. But please do use your discretion when listening to this and keep yourself safe and well. So today I'm joined by three of our Yes Champions. I'm here with Hazel. Hi. Lauren. Hello. And Johnny. Hello. So to kick us off, um, I'll just start by sharing a little bit of my experience. Um, so for me, I have experienced suicidal thoughts um, from a very young age and have made several suicide attempts. Um, but the last attempt was a good 14 years or so ago now. Um, I do still live with suicidal thoughts and I've had very, very poor, that's one way of describing it, mental health um, from childhood. Um, so it's something I live with, um, but for me, I've found easier to cope with uh, as time goes on. Uh, Hazel, how about you? Um, well, I've had, yeah, I've had, I've had a couple of attempts um, and a lot of thoughts. My first attempt was when I was about 16, and my most recent was at the beginning of 2020, so not that long ago. Um, but I have the thoughts pretty much constantly still. I just don't act on them anymore. Thank you, Hazel. And Laura? Um, I've only ever had them suicidal thoughts. Um, I've got like a whole bunch of other mental health stuff going on, complex PTSD and anxiety. But um, I'm occasionally passively suicidal, but I've never ever acted on my thoughts. And Johnny, how about you? Yeah, um, I've had suicidal thoughts and feelings since my early teens. Um, there's been a few attempts over the period of my life. Um, and uh, I, I do suffer from other related mental health problems. Thanks, Johnny. And I suppose one thing might be useful for our listeners, which I didn't say. So I'm in my early 40s. I'm 41. I had to really think now. I'm 41 <laughs> as we're recording this. Um, just to give some context for people so that might um, come into our conversation. Um, really interesting, um, Lauren, hopefully, if I remember or remind me to come back to... Um, the fact that you've had suicidal thoughts but haven't acted on them, I would love to know um, if there is a secret to that. Um, I think that's um, be really, really useful to come back to. But first, what I thought it could be good to do is to let our listeners know that at York Ending Stigma, we are um, currently running a suicide prevention specific campaign, which is Let's Talk Suicide Prevention. Um, so those of us who are on the podcast today, as well as some of our other York Ending Stigma champions, um, have been working very, very hard, <laughs> to say the least, um, to produce a video, website resources and all sorts of bits and bobs uh, that we will share links and information to. But what I thought would be really helpful is for us to just tell our listeners why we are sharing our experiences of suicidal thoughts and behaviours and what we're hoping to achieve um, by sharing those. Does anybody want to start us off? I, I, I chose to be part of this. I think um, to make a difference in the community for people in the future. Um, you know, for for many, 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 many years, I sort of kept this 
kind of thing to myself. So I, I think the main reason for me uh, getting involved with the suicide prevention project stuff was um, just to help people feel more comfortable around the whole subject of suicide and, and potentially, you know, save lives and, and make a bit of a difference in the community um, with the work that we do and the discussions that we quite bravely have. Thanks, Johnny. And I echo some of that with my own reasons. You're trying to make a difference, obviously hopeful that we will reduce deaths by suicide. And from my point of view, um, I want us to go, you know, those 10,000 steps upstream. I don't just want to be alive. I want to lead and live a good life as well. And I think for me, I completely agree with what you said about being silent for a long time. It's only been the past five years or so that I've talk to anybody and who you know here we are on a, on a public podcast talking about our suicidal thoughts and behaviors i mean it's not happened overnight um it's not easy to talk about we don't want to give any kind of false illusions that this is easy to do but it isn't but certainly the driver for me is i know that conversations have saved my life i know that by speaking up early i still have suicidal thoughts the sooner i can verbalize them acknowledge them and get some support from them for them the better and we'll come on to um a bit later on as to what keeps us well and and what things um help in terms of support um because no doubt it will vary um for each of us but hazel how about you what are your motives for sharing your experiences um i think it boils down to essentially i absolutely hate stigma and misinformation and all that sort of stuff in part just because it's wrong and I don't like it when people say things that are wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also because of the effect it has. Because if you have any sort of these sorts of feelings and you know that people are going to view you in a certain way because of the assumptions that are out there, then you won't speak and you'll hide it. And this whole topic becomes a taboo, which just builds the stigma and builds the isolation. And I think that that's... I think silence is the killer. Well, not the only killer, but it's a big part of it. And if we felt more able to talk about it and more open about things, maybe more people would feel able to get well, some sort of help or support. Yeah, I agree, Hazel. And I think um, it's not often I bring in statistics, but I do think for a subject like this, um, we've no idea you know, who our audience are, um, what the experiences you have. So one in five people experience suicidal thoughts um, during their lifetime. And when we think of, you know, the population of our country and the, and the globe, you know, 20% of us, that is a massive number. But also, I know that when I'm having my own mental health crisis and trying to seek support, there is also that 80% chance that the person I am trying to ask for help from has no clue as to how it feels. So I think for me as well, part of why I'm sharing my experience is to try and increase that understanding, because the same as you, Hazel, the misconceptions, the stigma, oh, all it does is, is make things worse for me anyway. Um, Lauren, how about you? Um, I think all of you just covered what I am doing this. Um, <laughs> but yeah. might as well just say it anyway. Um, basically, I don't want people to feel like I felt like I felt like I was really on my own. Like no one knew what it was like because I felt like I was basically at the bottom of a pit. Yeah, and I think that loneliness isolation for me the way i describe it is you know mental torture you know i don't feel as though i deserve to exist and i genuinely think when i'm that unwell i genuinely think i'd be doing everybody a favor by not existing but when i'm well or well enough 
I absolutely know the opposite is the case. And if any other human being said to me that they were thinking of ending their life, I would absolutely not want that to happen. But I somehow fail <laughs> fail to see that for myself when I'm really unwell. Um, so yeah, it's 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 complex. There's no by no means are we saying with this, you know, talking about suicide and suicide prevention is going to prevent all deaths. We're not going to eradicate broken marriages, abuse, you know, economic situations, et cetera, et cetera, by having a chat. However, I personally very much believe that by having the conversations, being open, destigmatizing and having non-judgmental support is absolutely key to us then even being able to start to address some of these wider issues. Um, I'm just thinking, just whilst we're on that kind of, you know, we've all experienced suicidal thoughts. For me, certainly in the past, it's always relied on me volunteering the information. Um, now I'm a lot more open um, with a couple of close friends. And for me, I'm really, really fortunate that my workplace, my current workplace is really supportive. It's the only workplace where I've ever told them um, about my poor mental health, including my suicidal thoughts. So for me, I've been able to have upfront early conversations with some key people in my life who I see on a regular basis or I'm in contact with on a regular basis that it's okay for them to ask me and not in this roundabout strange way, but just kind of, are you having thoughts of suicide? And for me, giving me that yes, no option, I'm, I try very hard with those close people to me not to lie. Um, I've certainly lied in the past to <laughs> health professionals and all the rest of it, but I'm also one for withheld, withholding information. I just won't say. So if I, if I get asked in a general way, it's just not going to happen. So for me, I prefer the yes, no approach. But I'm just really interested in your thoughts as to whether you even want to be asked, how you'd like to be asked, and just, yeah, generally what you think of, of that. Um, yeah, does anybody want to come in on that? Yeah, um, if you, someone's going to ask me if I'm feeling suicidal, just ask, just directly ask me. Don't just be like, are you thinking of doing something stupid? Because firstly, <laughs> oh, yeah. suicide's not stupid. Yeah. It's it's like, the you know, you've got no other way of dealing with it. That's literally, you can only think of that one thing as like an escape. Yeah. Um. Do, yeah, just don't wander around the topic. It's not. It's not a scary word. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Johnny, have you got any thoughts on that question? That's the tricky one, isn't it? Um, I, th I think previous to this project and me starting to open up about this, I, I wouldn't. I, I, w I probably wouldn't let anyone know, even if I was asked. I'd just say, "Yeah, I'm all right." Yeah. Um, I think this project has drastically changed the way I feel about having the suicidal thoughts and feelings. And, and in turn, I think, I, yeah, I could handle being asked directly um, now. It's funny, I, I, I tested this out um, whilst I was away. I actually confided in my friend who I've known since 18 about the project that we're doing. And I explained to him why I was doing it and what my experience had been over the years. And I explained why I hadn't sort of um, talked to him about it in the past. So 
um, that will that was the first time I've ever shared anything with anyone, um, just to see how they react. And it was it was a real sort of tumbleweed moment. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Would I? Would I? If someone asked me, sort of today, am I feeling suicidal? I think I'd be able to answer them honestly and openly now. Yeah, but that's only changed since the project. And I suppose that's you know one of the reasons why we're doing this project, because I'm the same as you. You know, you, I've outright lied. You know, I've lied to GPs. I've I've lied to yeah, and I wouldn't do that now. But I think as well. There's been a shift in me. So I'm very clear that I'm trying to keep myself as safe and well as possible, whereas I haven't necessarily obviously had that viewpoint when I'm incredibly unwell. But even when I get, I would say to my mind, just as unwell as I have done in the past, I think through having open conversations and feeling safe and supported, and for me it's really important to have the conversations with what I view as, as the right people, the right time, because I've had some terrible responses when I have volunteered to share how I'm really feeling and saying that I'm feeling suicidal and that has been more dangerous and damaging so I think um, it'd be worth us once we've heard from Hazel in terms of the question about being directly asked it would be good for us to have a bit of a conversation um, around that as well but Hazel before we do that um, I thought you'd forgotten about me for a second not at all (laughs) not at all (laughs) Um, I think Asking me directly would be better. Um, if you give me any sort of wiggle room, I will find a way to change the subject or move off it. But I think the other thing with me is I don't make a plan. My attempts historically have been spur of the moment. So there isn't this same um, build-up where I could warn someone. The thoughts are there in the back of my mind almost all the time, but it builds to a point of an attempt like within half an hour. So with me, I might be a slightly unusual case, I'm not sure, because all the um, suicide awareness training and stuff always talks about people having plans. So, But I think if you ask me directly, you're more likely to get an honest answer. Thanks, Hazel. And that's, that is really an interesting viewpoint to hear. And I, can only, I only know my experiences. And for me, personally, there, there is build-up, there is opportunity for me to speak out, there's opportunity for people to ask me. I suppose... You know, for anybody listening, thinking, well, how we don't know how many other people in your situation, don't know how many people are in my situation, because part of the problem is nobody's talking about this stuff. So this is why we are talking about it. Um, is there anything, Hazel, this is putting you on the spot, <laughs> that you, is there any, because you're experiencing the thoughts from what you've said on a very regular basis. Does anything, do you get any sense of any warning when, within your half an hour window? It is there an opportunity? I don't myself so much, but I've had to put part of safety plans and stuff like yeah. with the um, yeah, mental health team. My God, my words just disappeared <laughs> then. Um, <laughs> so we've had to create like a list of warning signs for my friends to notice because they're more likely to notice than I will. And essentially it's when I start to lose touch of reality because the psychosis symptoms start to come in. If I start having certain delusions, it's more likely to happen. But yeah. I won't notice them myself because I think they're real. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's yeah, that's a really interesting perspective because I I do think from what I've heard and seen, like you say, with suicide prevention campaigns and different things, it it almost assumes, like you say, that that we've got an awareness. Um, Lauren, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting actually, and finding out I'm autistic 
and I've got ADHD traits and all that kind of thing. Suicide prevention training doesn't really take that into account, that people present differently. That I don't know really how to put this, but suicide doesn't look the same. And are you able to describe how it might look for you that is different, if that's possible? I, don't, I know this is a really complex <laughs> subject. Just to give, you know, if we've got any mental health practitioners listening and they know that the person they're working with is also autistic, for example, is there anything, I mean, I'm asking you a real bit, you know, if, <laughs> if, if we knew the answer to this, obviously we wouldn't need to do a suicide prevention campaign. We wouldn't have people dying by suicide. So I, I do know that we're not here to solve the world's problems. Um, but are there any things you can think of as, as to how things might present I mean, differently? Generally, neurodivergent people and autistic people our communication's a lot different to a neurotypical person. So, I mean, if someone who is usually verbal just suddenly becomes like without speech or something like that, if something just changes dramatically or that like their stims become harmful, like head banging when they wouldn't usually, I don't know, some stuff like that. I mean, I don't obviously know it all. I can only speak for myself. Thanks, Hazel. Um, thanks, Lauren. <laughs> I'm looking at Hazel and saying this and thanking you, Lauren. No, that's really helpful. And the reason why I said Hazel's name by mistake is because I know that Hazel wants to come in. <laughs> Go well, ahead. I, just, I just wanted to add, because I'm also autistic and also have ADHD, and I've had to write this. Well, I didn't write this, but my team had to write this large on all of my medical records that they shouldn't assume anything given the way I present, because I can act and look and sound perfectly fine, but be 20 seconds from crisis. So it's just written quite large on my on my thing to believe my words and not my behaviours. And I have to say on that, just thinking back to my last suicide attempt, I was 27 at the time. I was in full time work, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'd been to work the previous day, you know, perfectly fine, you know, nobody. And, it, and the next day I just didn't go to work. And it, yeah, it's really interesting you say that our ability to hide mask or you know cover up how we're really thinking and feeling and for me that has been a massive learning curve particularly with our suicide prevention project is I need to take some responsibility if that's the right word or take charge of myself if that's the right phrase to speak up as well because I know and the couple of people who I've told um that I've experienced you know suicide attempts suicide thoughts they're generally absolutely shocked you know, people who've known me for a long, long time, they have had no idea. And for me, it's quite worrying, actually, as to how well I can cover things up. Um, and it all comes down to I've made what feels like to me a very conscious decision. I want to stay as well as possible. And that's why I am sharing all this stuff, because one of the biggest myths I can't stand is people are doing it for attention. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I would rather not be mentally ill. To be perfectly honest, have it all back. Have all my symptoms, please. Have it all. I don't want any labels. I don't want any attention. And it really, really frustrates me because actually the thing that keeps me well is having these upfront early conversations. Um, but Johnny, I think you, before I go on a rant, I think you wanted to come in, Johnny, when we were talking about how we present and whether that's related to neurodivergence or not. In your case, I don't know. So feel free to take the mic. Yeah, thanks for reminding me what I wanted to call <laughs> um, I just, just around the nature of how we present to people, I've, you know, um, I learned 
very quickly at school how to hide this from everyone. And it was usually through, through humour. So, I, I, you know, if I could make people laugh, then they would assume that everything's all right with me. And and I think that's a very important point that's been raised is how we may present and how we may be feeling are two separate things. And the assumptions that are made, even in mental health services um, and, and, and other kinds of support, in the past, for me, um, they haven't really sort of taken that into consideration at times, and they've made these sort of prejudgments on, on on how how you are mentally from how you present in that moment to them. Yeah, um, that's... so yeah, the, the the hiding it. I think we're all really good at hiding stuff, aren't we? Um, to our detriment, I'd say, yeah. certainly in my case. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So I just wanted to back that point up um, because it's an important one. You know, we even now, even now I've done this project and even now we're, we are where we're at with it and we're sharing all this stuff, there's still people that I haven't told yet. Um, yeah. You know, but i i i really think mental health services need to reassess the way in which they interact with you know the the, the their patients you know yeah Donny, and you said you said a lot of um really important stuff there i think it would be good to come back to the mental health services points because i know we've all got different views i just wanted to say um when you were saying about using humor i could certainly see lauren and vigorously nodding to that. And I think as well, in terms of the judgments, the biggest issue I have with seeming to qualify, if that's the right word, for any kind of help and support, is I somehow, and I don't ask me how, and probably to detriment to every other aspect of my life, but I somehow manage to work full time. That seems to be kind of people's green card for, well, surely you can't be suicidal. <laughs> and I just, well, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know about that. Um, but Lauren, um, you were nodding along a lot to what Johnny was saying. Did you want to add anything at all or are you simply agreeing? Um, just that, yeah, humour. Um, that's been kind of my, like, not quite get out of jail clause, but yeah, my get out clause. I'm, I've been lucky that I can just do a bit of ad hoc, ad hoc humour. Um, think Victoria Wood type humour. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can just use that. And I mean, it's not always ideal because I just cover things up and don't deal with them, but I'm a lot better at dealing with them now. But yeah. yeah, never used to deal with them very well. I think you can probably know, Lauren, that the little phrases are going to spring to my mind is my best friend's denial and wishful thinking, which I often have about <laughs> the severity of, of my mental health. Uh, but yeah. Hazel, have you got any further thoughts on how you present, covering up, and whether that's changed, sort of, the more you've been involved with our conversations at York Ending Stigma around suicide prevention, do you feel like the rest of us, that you, has that changed, has that helped, is it different for you? Um, oh, I'm not sure, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing is that I do hide a lot of the stuff. I don't really know why. I am quite open, like online, and I'm quite open in our projects. But for some reason, in my actual real life, I'm not as open. But then again, I can't really hide the psychosis because when it happens, it's there. <laughs> do you think, and I just want your honest answer, do you think there's anything to do with 
psychological safety and judgment because I certainly know with our group and our project I don't feel judged and I feel totally free to say what I'm thinking and feeling without there being any negative consequences I don't feel like you know I'm not going to lose my job for example it's not going to impact on certain relationships or or anything like that I feel like we are a group that foster a sense of trust and openness and for me I would love the whole of the city of York and beyond to have that same feel about it um, and I don't know whether that's because we've all got a similar experience and obviously the city of York we're a very diverse community um, I re- uh, yeah I don't know um, so Hazel, a, a question in there somewhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's the psychological safety of so you've, you've mentioned you're comfortable speaking in the online community and in the York Ending Stigma community but in other aspects of your life you say you're you can be quite closed and hide your feelings and your mental health I think part of it is worrying about worrying people but on top of that a big part of it and I don't want to do service bashing this is a big part of why I lie to services is I don't think they're going to believe me because I can I don't I, I don't appear I don't turn up like in floods of tears stuttering and unable to speak or anything like that I can look my facial expression never matches what's inside my inside, my, inside me unless I consciously make it <laughs> and I can appear perfectly fine but not be and I'm so scared of being invalidated and that will make me feel worse that I just don't admit to it in the first place. Wow and Lauren I could see you nodding to that do you want to come in? Um, Yeah psychological safety is like it is a big thing I think for me a lot a big part of my um, suicidal thoughts and feelings was um, is my complex PTSD which I, I'm very open that I'm self-diagnosed with it because, and I don't want to. I really don't want us to do service session, but I will. I will. <laughs> I will. I will. I do have to say that I don't want to go back into a system that is potentially going to further traumatize me just look, by looking for a diagnosis. Yeah. Because, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I've already been through enough. Yeah. With with that trauma, but yeah, the I've got a lot. I'm psychologically safe at work, so I can just you know, show people I, I really am. And with the yorkinistic um, stuff, stuff I'm, I can like be myself. It's not like I don't get like a lot of pent up feelings building up and then feeling worse afterwards. Yeah. And I think what you said about services and it and it's saying our experiences, it, it's not service bashing, it, it's saying your experiences and your concerns. Personally, for me, I've I tried to engage with services for my mental health in 2021, so last year, um, mainly to dismissal. <laughs> Again, because I work full time, how can I be ill? Oh my goodness! And I found that was stressing me out and making me feel worse. So I have chosen not to go back to my GP. So there may well be people listening here saying that's why you're not getting support, isn't it? Because you're not engaging and all of that. But to my mind, I've tried and. Historically, I've had some incredibly negative experiences where I don't feel as though I've been validated. But I also do want to add in that I can see both sides of the coin because I equally know that, you know, over a decade ago now, Hazel, I was that person that would... I think hysterics probably would do it justice, (laughs) has been to my GP in hysterics in the 10-minute appointment 
not being able to see say what I want to say. Obviously lied and said, no, I'm not suicidal. Uh, you can only imagine, can't you? So the poor GP, to, to give you know credit where credit's due, I can't imagine what it's like to be a GP on the receiving end of me when I'm incredibly mentally unwell. You can only hope they've had the training with how to deal with it because you would have thought so. But um, to my mind, and I, you know, it's these hazy tinted glasses and I'm looking back a long time now, I didn't feel as though I received adequate support when I was desperately reaching out for it, possibly in all the wrong ways, who knows. So, but that for me has, is a massive thing of putting me off. But equally, what I do know, and we've got other York End and Stigma champions who are part of this project, who for various reasons aren't able to participate in the podcast today. But I do know at least one of them has had a really positive experience with their GP. And, you know, we'll credit that as being part of the suite of things that has helped to save their lives. So by no means, you know, this is four of us in the room today sharing our experiences. We we do not represent the whole of York, the whole of the UK, the whole of the world by a long shot. So I just want to make that clear that, you know, it's about seeking the support that works for you. And also what I have learned is don't give up. If that first person, I used to think, because it was so hard for me to actually say the truth or the half truth, if I got what I perceived as a knockback, I would be silent for at least a year, you know, if not more. Whereas now I will keep going because I feel a lot more deserving of good mental health and living my life, whereas I never used to feel like that. So I have had to do a heck of a lot of self-work at the same time. So I think it's really complex with mental health services. But Hazel, there was a few sort of, I don't know if you were laughing or or what, um, but um, I think I'd really like to hear your views of um, mental health services. I, I know I shouldn't have laughed, but it's just, it's, it's, um, it's when you said the whole bit of like, well, people are going to be saying that's why you're not getting support because you're not engaged. I've engaged on and off for 16 years. I've still got barely any support. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but that, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is... There's a lot of funding issues. There's a lot of short staff issues. There's an awful lot of communication issues between primary and secondary um, services. So I'm not blaming individual people and I'm not really blaming the NHS or service bashing, but personally, it has been a very long road to nowhere. And I think for me, I think this is why it's all the more important that we're doing our project, we're sharing our experiences. We want to have the conversation. We want to have the conversations with health professionals. We want to let people into our world as to why we lie if we lie, why we don't say if we don't, why we engage, disengage, you know, whatever. Because I think from my point of view, I think that's the only way we're going to improve suicide prevention is if we all come together and have these open and honest conversations. And equally, I'd be really keen to hear, I'm not a mental health professional, I've never ever worked for the NHS. It would be really good to have a conversation and see how how things are from that viewpoint as well. And for me, I think that's how things will move forwards. I am keen to come back, Lauren, because you, right at the very start, when we were talking about our experiences, you said you've never made a suicide attempt. Well, for me, a massive part of suicide prevention, I'm really keen to know what your thoughts on as to or what did you do like I just think it's 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 so good that you didn't get the attempt stage and from what I can gather it was the first time you'd experienced suicidal thoughts as well so anybody who's listening has maybe not had suicidal thoughts but who knows we don't know what people are going to have in the future or anybody who's listening and it's the first time in their life that they're having suicidal thoughts just if you're happy to Lauren can you expand a bit more on kind of what what you did when yeah. you started to feel suicidal? I'm going to segue off of it first because you've said about don't give up. Yeah. And 
it's kind of like finding the right person who's going to listen and like validate how you're feeling. Um, I had to go out of the NHS to get that um, to a private therapist. And I, I, I got, I got that, and I've basically been life changing. Yeah. But back to the question. Um, <laughs> so yeah, my suicide thoughts were back in twenty twenty. It was a couple of months after we went into first lockdown for COVID. I mean, people blame COVID for a lot of things, but this was not directly related. This was because a lot of my supports had just gone because because of the lockdown um my the job i was at i'd gone to furlough um i was i'd done the classic thing of doom scrolling reading too much news my anxiety was up um, well up in the ceiling basically and i just wasn't coping and i've also got fibromyalgia so my pain levels were just horrific and i wasn't dealing with it stuff very well and things just got to a point where i wasn't coping and I'd not seen that. I'd, they kind of just the, all the thoughts just came out of the blue. Um, so, kind of, I I think this. I think a lot of the way the way I managed to cope was to do with my moral compass, and that sounds really weird, but yeah, because um, I waited like overnight to phone one one in the morning. Uh, yeah, one 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 in the morning. Um, and I spoke to someone and basically they bypassed the receptionist at the GPs, which I, I don't think I would, would have been able to cope with. Yeah. And they um, got me to speak to someone and I got a bit of continuity with the same GP. And I'm not saying medication is the answer for everybody because it isn't. And that's, that's a fact. But had I not had like, my medication right, I probably, I don't think I would, I don't think I would have, gone without an attempt if, if that sounds right yeah and lauren just for a little bit of context so when you said about kind of the moral compass and the, the waiting overnight i'm just i'm going to ask the two questions before i forget to ask them but yeah i'm just wondering if that's because you didn't want there to be any fuss or you didn't want to you know like oh it's out of hours or i need to wait and then my second question is so i live alone so for me at 3 a.m you, you know i don't have anybody else in the building um i'm just interested as to whether you had anybody physically with you, but you, for whatever reason, didn't feel as though you could tell them or, and if it's not to, please only obviously share what you want to. Um, I mean, anyone that knows me, um, that might well be listening, um, knows that I don't really like being the centre of attention. So I guess it was kind of flat, but also it was kind of like, I think it maybe was like the realisation like, geez, I'm in this, I'm in this like massive hole, actually. And I want I want to get help. Yeah. Um, and the second question was I, I I'm I'm still living with my parents. I'm 28. Can't yeah. afford to get a house. So yeah. Um, yeah. I just didn't want to wake anybody else up. Wow. And when you say it like that, like in the cold light of day, I didn't. You know what I mean? You're having for the first time in your life suicidal thoughts. And isn't it a real insight as to how we can feel when we're suicidal? Well, I don't want to wake anybody up. But very fortunately, you didn't go on to make an attempt. And it's just, even though I do this very similar behaviours myself, I do find it, and some of our listeners might, I do find it quite like almost shocking to hear that because I think, gosh, when I hear somebody else say it, 
I'm just like, well, common sense is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like we say so, but yet we don't. Um, really interesting, Johnny. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, on either on Lauren's experiences or how you feel in terms of waiting or yeah, anything like that. Really. Yeah, I got it. I think everyone's experience of both the subject matter that we're talking about today and our engagement with various services is, is a very individual thing. And I've, you know, I've kept things from doctors in the past so I didn't have to, you know, think about being put in hospital for a while again. And, you know, that experience of being in hospital for some time was um, a real turning point into how much I shared after that um and i might be going off on a tangent here a little bit but um my last experience of a mental health nurse at my gps was a far more positive period of time of support than i've ever experienced before in terms of her actually hearing what i was saying and responding to it in that moment rather than you know looking over my file historically and making sort of some assumptions from that before you even enter the room but but yeah it's i still haven't told my mom and my dad even though they probably they do know yeah. <laughs> you know there's that thing of yeah we think we've hidden everything <laughs> yeah. really well but we haven't um yeah. but but no um I do think it's it's a very individual thing and I know the response I got at the weekend baffled me a little bit because I was expecting a, t a telling off from my friend really? that I hadn't shared this with him because I've shared absolutely everything else uh, in my life with him over the years but but yeah I didn't I didn't get the response I was expecting I suppose um but sometimes I've been in a room where professionals have looked at each other with that look that you can see them doing and you're sat there thinking, I'm right here yeah. watching you look at each other like that. Yeah. And that is the worst feeling in the world. And that's when I've tended to withdraw a little bit and try and manage it myself because, like Lauren mentioned earlier, it, it, it's traumatic enough dealing with your day-to-day -day mental health without having external sort of things influence um, that in a negative way. Yeah, I... I, 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 I just want to apologise at this point and you can edit it out, but I, <laughs> I went off on one there, so no, I went down a path no. that wasn't quite... No. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's a very individual thing and I think... It's this whole silence and this shame and guilt that's attached to this, you know, suicidal thoughts and feelings that people experience. I think if we were more open in society about having a discussion around this with people that are in that situation, then I think the mental health services and the NHS would be more inclined to engage in a similar fashion, I just, I, you know, um, 
Yeah, Johnny. And I, what you said about your parents and that kind of, are we hiding things from food? It's really interesting, isn't it? Because for me, I, I really worry about having a negative consequence on other people or a negative I- impact on them. And, but I will be because when I'm mentally unwell, very mentally, I mean, I'm generally, <laughs> generally on a daily basis, you know, I struggle with my mental health, but when it, when it's, you know, it's pretty bad. There's no way, you know, I mean, it's, it's not having a knock-on impact to the people that, that know me and engage with me. So I'm, I'm now at the point where I might as well tell them and have the conversation to get some support. But Hazel, we haven't heard from you for a while. How, what are your thoughts in terms of, I've got no idea what nearest and dearest you may or may not have, but in terms of having that conversation about suicide prevention and, and keeping you as well as possible. Is that something that you've been able to have with anybody? Because you've mentioned kind of um, the online space and you've mentioned York and in stigma, but in terms of other aspects of your life? Um, well, for a start, I'm fairly certain I have hidden it from my parents <laughs> on the basis that I got diagnosed with bulimia at 19 and I remember telling them at 27 and my mum going, have you actually, or are you just guessing? Oh, <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. So I'm fairly sure I hid that. <laughs> and I've self-harmed since I was a child and they haven't seen me notice that one either. So um, apparently I'm really good at hiding stuff. <laughs> but um, Or is it that people don't want to talk to us or people don't want to bring it up? Because I think, you know, what Johnny said about we're really good at hiding. It is interesting because I've asked people, um, you know, friends who I've known, but it's in, in different contexts. So colleagues in the past that have become really good friends that I still, you know, visit and see and whatnot. And as part of our project, I've, I've told them about my suicidal thoughts and they were genuinely clueless. But I also think there'll be this other group of people <laughs> that know me that will be like, oh, we always knew there was something, but, we will, you know, <laughs> so I'm just, yeah, I'm interested. But you see, that's part of my problem is a lot of my friends either have mental health issues or work in mental health. Oh, okay. They picked up on things before even I picked up on things in some cases. So, um, yeah, I have got, I've got a quite small group of friends to be honest and of them a select few know most stuff i don't think anyone knows any i don't think any one individual person knows everything but between them they probably know everything okay um but i think online probably know more than anywhere else and i know this sounds ridiculous but i'm actually a lot closer to a lot of my online friends. in fact my last suicide attempt was stopped by an online friend <laughs> wow. and that just goes to show the positive power that there can be of, of, you know, online, be it social media, be it forums, whatever. You know, we often hear a lot of bad press about, particularly about social media and having a negative influence on people's mental health. So that's really interesting to hear, Hazel. And I think what I pick up from that is it's about having, it's a bit like when we were just chatting before we started recording, you know, Lauren, you said the phrase about finding your tribe, like whoever that is, wherever that is, whatever that is. It's what works for you and as, as an individual, you know, what works for me might not work for someone else. And I think maybe because this is a subject, you know, we could talk about for very long, for a very, very long time. I'm wondering if at this point is to start thinking about, you know, we're all still here. Some of the things that do help us, you know, there's no magic cure, but the things that do help us to keep as well as possible or the things that perhaps we're not able to do them at the moment. But we think, you know, if we had this wish list, you know, what would help us to keep us as well as possible and I think for me it is having just a very very small number of people very small number of people 
that I do feel I can be totally open and honest and upfront. And I've also had the conversations with them when I've been well enough to say, this is what I need. This is what helps me. This is what, you know, and I will start doing X, Y, Z and I will start lying to you. So please just don't believe it. You know, and having all these conversations because we're all trying to keep me as well as possible and safe. Um, so for me, it's, it's not an external services. It's not meditation. It's not yoga. However, I do do quite a lot of running. I've got lots of hobbies. I do like to go walking outdoors. Da, 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 da. But when I really, really seriously think about it, what is it that stops me from making another attempt on my life, even though I still have the thoughts? For me, it comes down to two things. It's having those very small number of people that no matter what time of the day, and I, and I acknowledge and know they've got busy lives. I don't expect, in fact, I shocked one of those people once because I literally told them I would wait a week for a response and they were just like horrified. They were like, well, I, I would get back to you, Emma, if you said you were suicidal. And I was like, well, and again, because of my experience with GPs, you know, you wait a week, don't you, to get, if not more, to get an appointment. So I am prepared <laughs> in this very roundabout way. And uh, so a bit interesting, Hazel, because obviously for you in your half hour window, clearly it's not going to work. Um, so for me, it's that security of knowing and just knowing that someone would get back to me for sure within a week. I know of those, you know, small number of people they would. And then the second thing that really has helped me is self-help. So I've done quite a few of the books on prescriptions for various mental health conditions and also self-esteem for me was a massive factor. Um, so there is a book on prescription, which you don't need to get from your doctor, by the way. Anybody in York, if you've got a library card, in the library, um, there's a shelf which is um, with, where all the books on prescription are. And essentially, they're books that have been approved in inverted commas by professionals as being suitable because obviously you have to pick and choose your self help, don't you? There's a, a lot of dodgy stuff out there. Um, but there is a book called Overcoming Low Self Esteem, which I personally found very helpful. But enough of me, and we'll go round. And Hazel, what is it that you find as much as possible helps to keep you as well as possible? Um, well, I, I don't, I'm not saying this is a quick fix, which people seem to think it is, but getting onto the right medication has hugely helped me Okay. because yep. I've still got psychosis. I still hear voices. I still have fleeting paranoia and feelings of things that aren't true, but I don't lose any sort of degree of insight anymore. I can argue with it and I can stay rooted in this world, <laughs> yeah. which has massively helped because it means I don't get to the crisis point so much anymore. But I suppose on top of that is how I personally would never use the crisis team. I just can't. But I also very rarely use a telephone. So all of my friends know if I phone them, it's an emergency. Ah, yes, okay. Because I just don't phone. I yep. just don't do it. Yeah. And on top of that, I suppose I've got a lot of on. I've got a quite close knit online community in which in which in, of which one person does check on me once a week, <laughs> which sounds a bit silly, really. But sometimes I need it. Just you saying that, Hazel, and not silly at all. So I have, it used to be one person, it's now two people, who I, every day, and for no sort of particular purpose, but again, it would help with picking things up, um, just text, good morning and night night, and just a general like, oh, morning, I'm just getting ready for work or whatever, and you know, I hope you had a good day, night night. And it is that connection and grounding and, and I think no need to apologise at all about medication. We all know that medication stigma is a whole different topic that we haven't got uh, time to go through. Again, I think it comes back to what works for different individuals. 
Personally, I don't take medication for mental health. I do occasionally think, well, is, is that why I'm still really ill? Or who, no, who knows? No idea. And again, we've got not got time for that kind of conversation. It's personal choice, what works. I've tried stuff in the past that's had an incredibly negative effect and it's, it's literally put me off my life. Um, but Hazel, yeah, absolutely no need to apologise. If medication is one of the things that works for you and it helps to keep you well, then yeah, I've got, what, why would you not do it? You know, you've got to do what works for you. So yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? I suppose other than that, it's just general sort of what you think of as wellness things. It's just prevent me getting to that point in the first place and trying to notice my own red flags or believe other people when they notice them. Oh yeah, yeah. That's and how do you find that, Hazel? If, if so, and. Is there an approach? So anybody listening who's thinking, I am concerned about my friend, my colleague, they've noticed something. Uh, I personally get incredibly defensive and angry. (laughs) So how does it go for you? (laughs) I have noticed a pattern. If someone tries to sort of like offer a solution or problem solve straight away, I will get defensive, I will get angry, I will act out in some way. But if the person introduces the conversation sort of more naturally or maybe while we're doing another activity and listens to me first and validates anything I say first, then problem solves, I'm more receptive to it. Yeah, I think for me, choice and control has a, has a big thing. And if, it, if I feel like I'm in a collaborative conversation, which is what you've just described, I think, yeah. So I, I agree with you on that one, Hazel. Um, thank you very much for all of those. Lauren, what are the things that help to keep you as well as possible? Um, I guess like checking in with myself to make sure I'm all right. Um, um, yeah, just... I think the biggest thing has been having a better understanding just of myself. A bit like what Isles just said there. Um, I think like in the last sort of two years, I've understood like why I do things like I do, like that I'm neurodivergent, that I'm autistic. Um, also like my sexuality and that kind of thing. Like why, like, like who I actually am. Um, I know that's like not, that's like a really random point, but. Yeah, that, I don't that, think so, Lauren. Just to, has helped. Yeah, uh, just to interject, I don't think that's random. I think it, knowing who you are is, is a, a massive part. So please don't apologise yeah. and uh, please carry on. Um, again, medication. Um, it won't work for everybody. Dif- different types of medication work for different people. Different things. Some people, like you know, a walk in the woods will literally will work for some people. Not for me. Um, no, we're all smirking around the room. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, it's not working for us either. But that's why I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> um, like, like, I guess, yeah, finding finding like what works for you. I mean, different things work at different times for me. I mean, managing my pain. Um, yeah. As I've already said, I've got, I have like fibromyalgia and chronic conditions, which aren't always that fun. Um, but yeah, and like having like finding my tribe, I guess, and at work and and everywhere else in my life, like knowing that people's people that's not going to judge me if i say like you know i'm struggling with whatever and also this is really random i've got like a tattoo on my left shoulder that says that's that just reminds me it says um i am enough i want to live yeah wow lauren and that's it's i always find it fascinating to hear because to me that's not something I would have thought of. You know, we often hear some of these and we can be a bit flippant about it, but obviously some of this stuff does work for people. Um, but when we talk about, and I certainly know for some of our champions, not, not us that are here today, but meditation and mindfulness, 
other people have said that is what has saved their lives. So just because it doesn't work for us um, doesn't mean it won't work for other people. But just hearing you talk about that tattoo, like to me, that's such a personal and unique thing. And you've just reminded me, and I don't know why, because it's got absolutely nothing to do with tattoos, but I do use the Stay Alive app. And um, for anybody who doesn't know, that's a, that's a free app that you can download. We're not affiliated with it, by the way, so there's no... <laughs> but it is, it is something that has certainly helped me to seek help, I would say, because within it, um, I mean, you know, you can search for it on the internet and have a look for it and whatever. But for me, there's different sections to it. One is a life box where you can put photographs and videos of things, things that mean things to me in my life. But there also is what I guess would be described as a safety plan. And in that is people to, you know, positive action that I can take when I'm in crisis and people I can contact and I have had to when I'm really really unwell I will have literally opened the app 10 times close it and they'll oh, no I better not disturb then then get really distressed and in sheer kind of what can I do we'll kind of go back to the app and I'm like oh but it says to tell that person I'm like, oh. and then on by the, about the 10th time of me I'm like perhaps I should just text them <laughs> um, so for me it works but your tattoo I don't know why Lauren has randomly reminded me and I saw you nodding about the Stay Alive app so I don't know if you want to yeah. say anything on it yeah I've got that app you just reminded me I need to add some more things onto it um, <laughs> yeah one, one final thing as well there's nothing wrong with going to therapy whether that's NHS or private yes yep very good point Lauren and as you said uh, feels like a long time ago but probably only 10 minutes ago you said that you found um, therapy to be sort of you know I think you did say life-saving um, yep. but certainly a key part so that's a good point thank you and Johnny having heard all of that different things for you similar things what helps you to keep as well as possible um, I this is the one that I struggle with the most I suppose yeah. of all the questions Certainly what keeps me well now has changed to what kept me well prior to this project. Mm -hmm. uh, the friendships that I've built up in in the York Ending Stigma um, forum, but in particular the you know, the suicide prevention project has for the first time in my life made me really dissect and pull apart the nature of what that's like for me and in turn that's helped me kind of focus on new things to introduce into my life um, or reintroduce that I'd lost and discarded through poor mental health um, and I think music is probably one of the key things for me that I've gone back to that I kind of stayed away from for years because of the triggers and the associations that I had with the particular album or song or so I, you know in preparation for this discussion today I thought I knew I know I'm going to get asked what keeps me well <laughs> but but yeah it's the the project has kept me well in that I've finally faced up to the very nature of what it's like to experience this stuff for myself it's also made me think about taking time for myself. Mm. But the third thing is about looking out for other people in the community kind of feels like that gives me purpose. So the network, you know, the MCN network work that I'm still part of makes me have some self-worth and I think that 
self-worth has been really lacking on a number of occasions for me in the past. Thanks for that, Johnny. And I think, you know, we don't do false toxic positivity. And I think the fact that you've started your response with, I find this the most difficult thing, I think a lot of people will relate to that. And I think certainly that would have, I would have said that, you know, a number of years ago, I would be like, nothing, you know. Um, So, yeah, again, there's there's no need to apologise or think that you're different. I just wanted to clarify for our listeners. So MCN is multiple complex needs. So here in York, we do have a multiple complex needs network. Again, if you pop that into your internet search engine, um, you can find out more about what what that is. Um, And that's for people who are experiencing multiple complex needs with their health, be it physical health, mental health, etc. Which Johnny, like you've mentioned, you are a part of. But just in case anybody wondered um, what that was. No, 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 not at all. Um, Just having a quick look at the time. I think we are very much coming towards the end. I feel like there's so much more personally that I could have said. I can see, yeah, nods around the room. What we will do is just if I'll go to each of you in turn, so start having a think now, Hazel. <laughs> if there's anything else that, obviously the subject's massive, we know that, you know, and we can only encourage people to check out our website. Again, if you search for York Ending Stigma, you'll find us um, and we will be, or we are, <laughs> never mind, will be, we are um, very much launching a suicide prevention project. It's a bit tricky because we're recording things obviously ahead of time, you know, the way it works with these podcasts. So we don't know when when in the year you will be listening to this, um, but we are very much working on a big suicide prevention campaign, which is fully lived experience led, um, mostly from the suicidal thoughts and attempt survivor perspective but we have also got involvement and that could include some of us who have also been bereaved by suicide and we're taking a kind of multi-angled approach Um, so we'd encourage people if you feel that you want to to engage with that and engage with us and our project um, obviously with the positive purpose to for suicide prevention and to where we can prevent deaths by suicide. Hazel, with that said, is there anything else you'd like to add? I think the, the biggest thing in my mind is that this topic shouldn't be a taboo. We should be able to talk openly about it. Obviously, that's in a perfect world and we do not live in that world. But my hope is that the more of us who feel able to, like safe to talk about it, the easier it will become in time. So... I don't know where I'm going with this sentence. Um. <laughs> that makes sense to me. I, I it, it does make. I can't put your word. You know, uh, th- like you, I would. My my mental health has drastically improved because of those few close people to me in important areas of my life, friendship, workplace. I can be totally open and honest, and that is what keeps me as well as possible. And I think, but I'm still choosy. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell the person once we finish this recording. You know, I might pop to the shop and buy some sweets. I wouldn't dream of telling somebody in the shop if I was feeling suicidal. But in a perfect world, if anybody was in crisis at any point, we'd all know what to do, how to react. Is that what you're trying to say, yes, Hazel? Yes. Yeah. But my words weren't working. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, it all made sense to me, <laughs> which we can all read into however we want. <laughs> um, Lauren, any final comments from you? 
I can't think of anything apart from, you know, pretty much what Hazel said, what, like, you know, suicide's not, not like a dirty word. Yeah. Thank you. Very succinct, Lauren. We like it. Thank you. Johnny, feel free to elaborate. <laughs> um, We're all different. <laughs> I have used various things to try and mask and 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 divert away from this subject matter over over a large period of my life um and it's been to my detriment so i would just conclude today that this subject matter is something that we need to start talking about more so that um people people start to manage it far earlier in their life and uh, reduce some of the heartache and worry um, that I have experienced over the years in trying to hide it. So I would encourage anyone um, that, that, that is sort of experiencing these things to, you know, speak up. Uh, be 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 brave. Speak up. I don't think in today's society you're going to get judged in the same way that I would have done twenty years ago if I'd have spoken up then. I think things have changed and moved on, and um, and hopefully changing even more for the better as, I, as we I, live and speak. I I I think since COVID, I think there's been a huge sort of. Um, movement within society to look out for one another more and more, which is is quite comforting to have seen that you know what really matters in life was brought to the forefront of everyone's consciousness. So I think you know, yeah, like you say, hopefully it's still changing day by day. Um, but yeah, thank you, Johnny. And one thing I will say, which we didn't mention and is, is, is very important because obviously we are, we have found conversations helpful around the subject of suicide prevention. People can worry, um, so I'll just end on this, people can worry that introducing the subject of suicide, suicide prevention might put ideas into people's head. There is a lot of re- research out there and it's even mentioned in the Stay Alive app that I mentioned earlier that talking about the suicide, the subject of suicide does not make somebody suicidal or put the thought into the head. It's the exact opposite. Talking about the subject is helpful and a positive thing to do. So anybody who's worried about bringing up the subject matter and thinking, well, we've never talked about it before, you know, it could be like us, we were silent for years and we just weren't saying anything. So that can be a big fear for some of our listeners. So um, I meant to say it earlier, didn't. Um, but we're probably well and truly <laughs> beyond time. I think we're probably just on about an hour. So I think we will call it to a close there. I know we can't cover everything in an hour, um, but I just wanted to say thank you very much to you, Hazel, to you, Lauren, and to you, Johnny, and to our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you. <laughs>